RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights and a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. It's episode number 199, rolling up on the Big 200 next week. I'm your host, Tim Loy, and it is a fight week here as we get ready to do preview and predictions for this week's VFC 80 card. It goes down Friday, April the 2nd for the world-famous Cotton Eye Joe. And, of course, joining me today, my co-host, as always, Justin Watson, as well as our picks panel, uh, Greg Hopkins, Jeff Hobbs, and Torres Finney. We're going to break down all the matches and get a preview and predictions on all those. But before we jump into the uh, UFC 260 to clean up, it was a big pay-per-view card this past Saturday night. Originally supposed to be two uh, title fights, and the featherweight title fight fell off. Still had a heavyweight title fight, though, in the main event, and we got a new heavyweight king, Francis Ngannou, knocks out uh, Stipe Miocic, second-round TKO, kind of a pro cop esque in the way that he folded him up and uh, showed a lot of patience, showed a lot of, uh, you know, poise and composure where he didn't rush. He didn't uh, gas himself out. He chose his shots and he, and he finally hit the kill shot in the second round. I was on that over one and a half. So it happened just a little too early for my liking. And I thought I was going to get there with the uh, Stipe eating some of those blows early, but um, yeah, ultimately it wasn't to be Francis Ngannou, your new champion. Uh, I want to send it around the horn real quick and then we'll just do the, uh, we'll do the rest of the card just all together and uh, kind of run through it. Uh, we'll start with Jeff, man, uh, new, new heavyweight champion. This is one we talked about last week that you really just, it was hard to predict because you know, we, we thought that Stipe would be the more technical fighter, have more ways to win, but then Francis with that death touch uh, can change things at any time. Yeah, we just kind of wondered. We'd already seen Stipe uh, knew how to win this fight, but we didn't know how much Ngannou had changed uh, or had, uh, you know, fixed the things that went wrong the first time around. Uh, I just really wish I had had the forethought to uh, pick a second-round TKO. Um, oh, wait a second. Well, you did. I did. I did. I oh, wait a second. That. I did. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, that plus 500 would have been nice, but, uh, you know, like you said earlier, I mean, it was just the, uh, the measured attack. Now it was, you know, not rushing things, uh, sitting back, letting things come to him, just knowing that as heavy handed as he was, Stipe may eat a couple, um, but he would not be able to, uh, you know, last very long. I mean, Stipe got one good shot in before the knockout, uh, and it didn't even phase, uh, Nganu, so, uh, I don't know. The question now is just how long will he keep it? You know, Stipe uh, still, in my mind, you know, without a doubt right now is the greatest UFC heavyweight champion of all time uh, based on statistics and records and title defenses. Uh, this is a title that usually only lasts around someone's waist one or two times at the most. Uh, but he was able to hold it, you know, for a real long time. Uh, so the question now just stands, who is a threat, you know, to Nganu? And uh, I guess only time will tell. We'll kind of take it from there over to you, Justin. Uh, you know your thoughts on this fight and uh, what comes next, man. Is it uh, is it going to be uh, is it going to be John Jones? That's the fight everybody wants to see. Derek Lewis also hanging around in line, but uh, you know it sounds to me like uh, there's some holdup potentially with the, the monies. Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as the performance goes, Francis looked amazing. I mean, the, the takedown defense turned it around, and got a takedown of his own. That's a scary, scary proposition to think of Francis, you know, being able to wrestle and being on top of you with that ground and pound, you know, landing those shots. Um, 
that that's going to be scary for anybody moving forward. Um, but like you said, he just he made the uh, the adjustments that he needed to make, did everything perfectly. As far as what's next, man, it, I think that if Stipe wants the rematch, it's hard to not give Stipe the rematch just because of the body of work that he has. Um, John obviously the, isn't anywhere close financially from what it sounds like. Um, but if Stipe doesn't want it right away, you know, I could definitely see them turning it around in in a few months and maybe making Francis and uh, Derek Lewis again. Um, and then maybe Stipe at the end of the year if he, if he decides to try again or uh, John at that point. But uh, Francis is scary, man, uh, and, and continuing to just get better and better all the time. I don't know if you guys saw the video of his hometown in Cameroon where they were all outside watching and when yeah. he lands that knockout, man, it was just – a, a spectacular moment you know all those people just felt the energy you know you could feel it coming through the screen you know the excitement and um said so the average annual income there is thirteen hundred dollars a year you know and they see a guy that came from the same place that they did that is now on top of the world the baddest man on the planet so um great story man i hate it for stipe stipe's you know i like stipe a lot uh, as far as his his dedication and uh, work ethic and stuff but there's no better story out there than francis Torres, let's send it over to you, man. Uh, thoughts on our new champ? You called this one, if I'm uh, not mistaken, last week and uh, said uh, France is going to get it done. Uh, your thoughts on this fight and your thoughts on what comes next? Exactly. Uh, I ain't going to lie to you. It's not the exact way I thought it. Um, I thought, you know, France was going to catch him probably in the later round, like the third round. But uh, who's laughing? <laughs> but, um, yes, man, I, I truly thought Francis. uh his progression, I mean, man, look, it truly made a difference. When you haven't fought a guy in the span of, what, was it three years, four years? Um, yes, guys going to make changes. Yes, guys going to change up their game plan. I thought Stipe slightly went into that fight thinking he was going to do the same exact thing. And I don't understand why he thought that. But overall, man, uh, Francis, he looked phenomenal. That sprawl, oh my goodness. And like, hey, going in 30 pounds heavier, <laughs> yes, that changes up a whole lot of things. But man, did, boy, did Francis look good. And obviously that that knockout was nasty. I'm excited to see what he he's able to do. I mean, everybody, obviously everybody wants to see the John Jones-Francis Nagano fight. Um, but if Darren Lewis can get in there, I mean, I would like to see that number two. Um, those two guys did not have the best fight at all that first time, but I think this second time go around, they're going to go at each other's neck. I think that'd be a good fight to see. So, yeah, I think that is kind of one of those, uh, those things where you look back at that last time that those guys fought and it was just atrociously bad. And, and I think that there's a, maybe a little concern there that that would turn people off maybe of, of ordering a pay-per-view if that was going to happen. But I, you know, the last time that happened, uh, he was coming off of his first ever loss. And so he was still tentative. You know, if he's kind of gotten past that and he'll press the action, then, you know, I think we could get a good fight out of it. Greg, wrap us up here on this main event. Uh, was uh, anything here that, that surprised you? Oh, yeah, very much so, man. I actually uh, made a six-leg par- uh, parlay. And, you know, my impulsive ass sometimes happens to do stupid shit. I accidentally put Nganu in that six-leg parlay. And uh, and I was not, I was fading Nganu. Uh, so like by the time that parlay was to Nganu, <clears throat> it was like a $13 parlay and I could cash out for $180 or let Nganu go and win 400. I just took it out for 183, put a hundred on Steve pay, put 55 on the under one and a half and fucking lost it all. Uh, 
and Gano did impress me. I was not expecting, like, like Finney said, the sprawl. I was like, God damn. Like, as soon as he did that, I was like, it's over with. There ain't nothing going to happen. And then when he got knocked out, I was like, Jesus Christ. Uh, and Gano stood out to me in this, uh, in this whole, on this whole thing. It, it didn't make my not bad, but, uh, I was, I was happy for him. Uh, but as far as uh, the future goes, I don't think John Jones deserves uh, an immediate title shot. I think he needs to at least fight once in the damn, you know, heavyweight division right now. I think he needs to do that first before we even talk about him in the title picture. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people would agree with you there. I, I think that uh, you, you just you run the risk potentially of uh, you know, had you got catching lightning in a bottle right now, if something gets funky and uh, and Francis drops at the next one, then that fight's gone. You know, so I see both ends of it. We'll see what uh, how it shakes out. Co-main event, it was Vicente Luque with a big uh, big win, first round submission, the Dars choke over Tyron Woodley. Um, man, I. I honestly thought Woodley accounted well for himself, even though he got beat in the first round. He showed what we kind of needed to see out of him, I guess, if that makes sense. we He needed to show some fires, needed to show that he was still out there trying to win fights. And in my opinion, he went for it, had some pretty good moments early. And um, I really don't shame him in this that much. However, really good win for Luke all the same. It's kind of that signature win he needs to get up there, uh, get in the big fights, you know. Sugar Sean O'Malley uh, with a third round knockout over Thomas Almeida. That one scared me. Um, I had O'Malley, um, but uh, at the same time, I he he had uh, he dropped Almeida in the first round and kind of like thought he had a walk off and they didn't stop it and he got back up and then there were some leg kicks starting to maybe affect him a little bit and I just had that real queasy feeling like, oh man, we we had that now that we've lost it, but no, no, he, uh, he ended up uh, carrying through and, and, and really uh, picking Almeida apart. Uh, nice win for O'Malley. Calls out Dominic Cruz afterward. Miranda Maverick with a uh, unanimous decision win over Julian Robertson. That was a nice win for her. Best win of her career. And uh, showed some nice composure. Gotten, uh, had her back taken at one point. Never really freaked out. And, uh, you know, stuck the course. Got a pretty wide decision. Jimmy Malarkey with a big knockout in the first round over Kama Worthy. Man, that was uh, that was impressive. I wouldn't have called that. Um just because, uh, you know, Malarkey, I thought would, I didn't know he had that, that kind of power and I thought he'd want to grapple. Uh, so, uh, yeah, big knockout for Malarkey. Might have saved his job as he was 0 2 in the UFC there. Alonzo Minifield, uh, first round submission with a uh, Von Pruchoke over Fabio Charant, who is a late replacement for William Knight. Uh, Minifield cash is there as a favorite. I wouldn't have called it by submission, though. I bet that paid pretty good. Um, uh, Abu, 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 plus, it was plus 550. Plus 950. Plus five fifty. Five fifty. That's still good. Yeah. And K- KO was minus one sixty five, and I was all on the KO. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, who wouldn't have been? Yeah. Um, uh, Abubakar Nurmagomedov uh, knocks off Jared Gooden with a fairly wide unanimous decision. Uh, you know, the lead up, Jared Gooden was uh, talking about how he had to prepare for uh, Nurmagomedov's wrestling, but uh, Nurmagomedov's striking was actually on display uh, in the first half of the fight. Uh, Michelle Ochechuk with a split decision win over Modestus Bukaskis. Uh, that was uh, a fight that I really thought would go under. That was one of my top plays was uh, the under uh, two and a half in, in this fight. I thought we would surely get a knockout. We did not. Omar Morales with a uh, fairly boring uh, unanimous decision win over Shane Young. And we started the night off with a bit of a slobber knocker, I guess. Mark andre Barrio. Um, gets his first UFC win with a third round TKO over Abu Azatar, who who really brought it in the first round, but then he gassed real bad. And um, there was a little bit of controversy, I guess. Some people were saying that maybe the, the stoppage was a little late on that one. Um, took 
a lot of damage. He wasn't really looking like he wanted to be there. I'll send it around the horn here, guys. Let's go biggest winner, biggest loser from this card, in your opinion, um, with the exception of the main event. If you, uh, if, Since we've all kind of already given our take on the main event, uh, the, your other biggest winner and loser on this card and why, uh, we'll send it back around reverse order this time. Greg. Okay, let's see here. Biggest loser of the night. I'm going to have to say, I, I don't even pay attention to whoever, whoever officiated that uh, – that uh, Abu Azatar and uh, and Baru got that that whoever who was ready was Herb uh, was it not Herb Dean I think it was Herb Dean. Well, then Herb Dean is the biggest loser of the night because I had that fight uh, to go the distance and he fucking stopped it four seconds left in the fight and I was like, dude, you've already let that guy take damage so much damage. What's four more seconds gonna do? I'm on it like this. If he's if he's got thirty concussions, he's already got him. You should have stopped it a lot earlier. So that was a horrible job, in my opinion. Uh, that, that's the biggest loser, biggest winner of the night. Um, <clears throat> obviously, he's going to be Francis. Man, he finally got that strap, and uh, that, that's my take. Okay, uh, okay. I asked for anything but the main <laughs> video. Uh, oh, you we'll, said uh, you said you said not Francis. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, man. Sure I'm so, uh, uh, biggest winner is going to be uh, Alonzo Menafield for getting that submission of the night, man. That was uh, that was. I did not think that was going to happen. He was plus five fifty. I was all over him at minus one sixty five or knockout. But uh, just the scoop and the slam, and uh, you know, and I had him faded in a big parlay against Knight, and when it came around, uh, you know, that's who I. Uh, you know, the, that was big. You know, it's big, big win for him. He needed that win to stay around. Torres. Uh, yes, my biggest uh, winner of the night is easily, without a doubt, um, Tyron Woodley. I think Tyron Woodley overall. I mean, take that back. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry. I mean, um, he was my biggest loser of the night. Tyron Woodley is my biggest loser of the night. And the reason why, um, <clears throat> the way he went out, I mean, I mean, overall, that'll be his fourth straight UFC loss. And. Sadly, I think that is the end of Tyron Woodley. Um, I don't think he will uh, be fighting anymore. And, um, I mean, Vicente Luque put him down. I mean, he came out hard. I like how he, he finally let go of his hands. You know, he even rocked Vicente on one punch. But um, overall, I think uh, Tyron Woodley, his last four fights have been bad. And I feel, I feel bad for the brother, man. But uh, my biggest winner is Sean O'Malley. And a little bit tied that in with Dana White because now his – he got another star that he can uh, use, and I've been seeing a lot of things with him and Dominic Cruz, and I truly believe that's a great fight to watch. Sean O'Malley looks so good in that fight, man, and I wish he would stop trying to do these one walk-off punches and go ahead and go for the finish because <laughs> he could have finished Thomas Almeida in, uh, in the first round. But regardless of the fact, man, um, he I think he him getting back on the um, hype tra- on this train, and the hype train is for real for uh, Sean O'Malley, but him getting back on the train now. I'm excited for it. All right, Justin, your take. Torres took my biggest winner, so I'll, I'll switch <laughs> it to uh, Vincente Luque um, just because, you know, beating a former champion, obviously Tyron's coming off of three losses, but this was the best Tyron we've seen out of his last four fights, I think. I mean, I think that this is the, the first time we've seen the real Tyron Woodley in fuck, fights or something. I mean, even when he was fighting, you know, the Damian Mayas, he was he, he wasn't really going for it and pulling the trigger. Um, and he did this time. He came out and knew that he had to fight, and that's what he did. And um, I I actually think they'll probably give him another fight uh, because of that. Um, I think if he would have been back up against the cage and just taken down and beaten up the whole time for five, or for three rounds, I think then they probably would have let him go. But um, 
my biggest loser is Fabio Charant. You know, getting it's you know it sucks to lose. You know, I mean, it's it's not terrible, I guess, losing to somebody who's been in the organization for a little while when you take the fight on two or three days' notice. But when you lose that way, like how many times do you have to see? You know, that if you're holding on to a guillotine and this guy's inside control, you're probably going to get put to sleep. Like, how many times do you have to see it before you start letting go of that choke? I don't know. Um, but I think that showed that uh, his fight IQ was, you know, definitely not where it needed to be. Well, he was the uh, grappler here, wasn't he? I mean, you would probably think so. I don't I don't know that what, he, what he is in jiu-jitsu. I think he's a wrestler, but Alonzo Minifield scooped the shit out of him and slammed him, too. But it's just that, you know, I don't know. That, that choke has been done so many times recently, you know, Vince's – keeps hitting it and these guys just keep doing it. It's kind of weird. All right. And, uh, Hobbs, what you got? Well, going last, you know, most everything's been uh, talked about here, but my biggest winner and biggest loser both come from the same fight. Winner, Luke, uh, loser, Woodley, um, you know, Vicente, it's a great win, uh, you know, signature win, uh, definitive win. He's going to climb up the charts here at the rankings and, you know, he should at least be in that conversation, of a fight or two away from, you know, possibly a, a title shot if he continues to win. Woodley, I see completely different from everybody on here. Uh, everybody talks about, you know, letting his hand go and looking good and looking like the old Woodley. I saw it as desperation. Uh, I saw it as Woodley, you know, throwing all the shit up against the wall to see what sticks, but going at him with guns a-blazing. But there was, to me, there was a completely different look when it didn't work and his back was up against the cage um, and, and kind of the grappling started before the next exchanges. Uh, it, it kind of, he had that disinterested look like, okay, it didn't work. Um, I definitely don't see him getting another fight. That was the end of his contract. And I don't see where you give him, you're not going to give him a full contract. Uh, I don't see the UFC giving him a one-off contract, um, after this many losses in a row and what had to, what, what has to be a fall down the card, you know, to, um, you know, the, the ESPN side of a card. I just don't see where the benefit is. I don't necessarily know if Tyron Woodley is ready to hang it up, but I can definitely see, see him now that he is a free agent, depending on what their uh, clause is on how long he has to wait before he can sign with anybody else. I wouldn't be surprised if I see him sign somewhere else to maybe try to get, uh, right the ship and get a couple wins before he hangs it up. But I just don't see it in the UFC right now. All right. Uh, for me, I'm going to just uh, to go off in just a different direction, I guess. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, with the females, uh, Miranda Maverick. You know, she is going to crack. She cracks the rankings. She's going to take Jillian Robertson's 15 slots. So now she's ranked. Uh, she'll continue to rise up. She'll, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of poise. Uh, the one time that she was in a bit of a rough spot, she uh, never let Robertson do anything with it. And so uh, I'm going to say Miranda Maverick there for my loser. Let's go with uh, man. I'm going to go with Kama Worthy here because that may be—he's got an exciting style that may get him another fight or so. But um, I think he just came in kind of guns blazes and, and blazing, got those knockouts quick, and, and the people were a lot higher on him than they probably should have been. I'm familiar with the guy; he's been in this, you know, on the East Coast here for years, and uh, exciting guy. But I never thought he was really like, you know, on that level. So um, yeah, I could see him maybe being let go here. We'll see. Tough loss though, getting knocked out by a submission guy that was 0-2, you know, in the UFC. All right, guys, that will wrap up our uh, our recap uh, section of the show. That was UFC 260. It is an off week 
for UFC this week. There is some Bellator. We're not going to get into all that. Maybe next week we'll talk about some Bellator. But Bellator is going head-to-head with VFC this week, y'all. So uh, we're going to talk about VFC instead and uh, get into our preview and picks panel. VFC 8080, 80, it's an all-pro show. It goes down this Friday night. That's April the 2nd from the world-famous Cotton Eye Joe. You can get your tickets at fighterticks.com. Or you can catch the uh, live pay-per-view and uh, catch all the best angles there with uh, commentary, replay, all that good stuff. Uh, you can catch that at VFCMMA.com. You can go to our social media as well, and we'll we'll post the links up there so you can follow along. Uh, let's jump into it, guys. Before uh, before we get going, Justin, uh, let's get a recap on our current standings. All right, going into this uh, third event of the year, Greg's in the lead with 67 points, followed by Torres with 64 and Hobbs was 61. Yes, <laughs> it's, a, it's anybody's ball game. To recap how the scoring works out there for y'all uh, in listener land, uh, the winner of the fight will be worth two points, and then you have the ability to garner one additional bonus point. Um, uh, is, that, is that right? Is that right, Justin? Is that how we do it, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, one additional bonus point for the uh, – for the method. So if you call knockout submission decision, you get it right. Then you get a, a third bonus point for that fight. But you have to call the winner to get the bonus. So, uh, all right, uh, Justin, let's rock and roll. All right. Guys, so I get think, a, uh, I think before we get started, Tim, for the listeners at home who might not have realized, I think we should go over who fell off the card. If you were wanting to see some fights, they might not be fighting. Yeah, canceled and fizzled section. Yes, absolutely. Uh, right. So uh, we, we, there's a bit of a walk of shame here that I that we'll we'll start doing this. I like this uh, actually. So everybody will get their uh, the the their moment in the sun that they that they that they want so badly. Um, so uh, we had uh, a few fights here that were originally booked that uh, didn't see the light of day. Uh, first off, man, my, my man Nick Birch was supposed to be on this card. And that is a super bummer that his fight fell off. He had uh, two different opponents originally to fight Chris Burbridge from Alaska. Um, Chris Burbridge uh, pulled out about a week and a half ago, citing uh, concussion and heat stroke down in Tampa, Florida, um, which is suspect to say the least. Uh, no document, uh, no doctor's documentation, no uh, medical excuses, nothing along those lines. He pulls. Um, we worked hard to get a replacement uh, by the name of Kobe Bowen in, which would have been a better fight. A uh, very athletic kickboxer uh, from Barbados, but uh, we just weren't able to get the medicals in on time to meet the state licensing requirements. And I don't think it was for lack of effort. You know, he was out there hustling as best he could. But uh, in Barbados, I don't think that the uh, health care system is quite as uh, streamlined as it is here in the States. And so it's just hard to get those uh, those quick turnarounds on results. It's hard to, to even get in to see a doctor because, uh, you know, it's there's only like one office on the island for like each thing and everybody goes to it. It's not like you have like all these options. So unfortunately that fell through. Uh, we were also supposed to have um, Arthur Cisse against a guy named uh, David Oliver, who was going to make his debut from Kentucky. Oliver uh, went off the grid when it came time to get his medicals in. And then um, uh, coincidentally, the uh, the day when the rubber hit the road uh, and we absolutely had to, to get there to, to get things done, he, he allegedly fell off a house. So a uh, rough day all around, I guess, uh, on, on, on that end. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see, who uh, <laughs> the best for last? Um, 
or let's see if I'm, if I'm, is there anybody else I'm missing here? I think that covers everybody but our Finnerty and McCracken fight. Chad Finnerty and Wes McCracken originally lined up. Chad pulls out this week with a uh, ligament issue in his hand. Um, and uh, and uh, it was one of the absolute weakest uh, medical excuses I've, I've ever seen uh, as far as documentation goes. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are with all those guys. Uh, thanks to, to Nick Gertz, Wes McCracken, Arthur Cisse for doing everything you needed to do uh, to get to your fights. But uh, unfortunately, your opponents can see their end of the deal. So um, let's move on to the people that are uh, going to see through their end of the deal. That's uh, that's more that's more like what we want to talk about here. Uh, Justin, uh, set us up here. What we got here? Uh, serve me up the first one. All righty. So to get us started, we go with the uh, 135-pound women, Hannah Rosario, 0-1 out of Team Advantage in Princeton, West Virginia, taking on Morgan Hickman, 1-2 and out of KMA in Knoxville. So the ladies are going to kick us off. That's uh, that's always interesting. We've got two uh, female fights on here. We always like to do as many female fights as we can. We've got uh, uh, Morgan uh, Hickam is, uh, you know, an invictive vet. She comes in here at 1-3, and three, and I, uh, I believe her last fight – was that was her last fight? Her invicta fight? I, I think it was. It's been a minute since Morgan's fought, I believe. So uh, she's she's looking to, to to get back on track, get back to those bigger stages, and she's going to be taking on uh, Hannah Rosario, who debuted back in Chattanooga. Um, the last Chattanooga show, she lost to uh, Christina Roadhouse Ricker. Um, in her pro debut, so she's 0 one now. Uh, Rosario has been around a long time. She's uh, you know she's got an extensive amateur record, more fights than Morgan. Uh, fairly confident saying that overall total between amateur and pro, she's got uh, quite a few more fights than, than Morgan. So she's been around a while. She's uh, she is now up her training uh, uh, regimen and uh, training at advantage uh, team advantage in West Virginia there with uh, Derek Lambert and Jeremy Mitchell and, and those guys. So uh, we'll see if uh, that will improve her game. She's always shown a lot of gameness and toughness. So we'll see uh, how she uh, handles the, uh, the range and the, uh, the output of Morgan Hickam uh, this Saturday night. Morgan Hickam, of course, with KMAA there when uh, Eric Turner uh, has got a large table of females for her to, uh, to sharpen uh, her tools with. All right, Greg. Yeah, I've been paying attention to uh, both of these ladies on Facebook, and I've seen Hannah, uh, you know, try to make the transition and actually uh, really train hard and try to go to multiple different places and always just stay active. At least that's the way it appears, as I see on Facebook. So I, I'd like to think that uh, we're going to see a, a much stronger, faster, more composed Hannah Ellswick as a professional fighter now. I mean, it took, a, it took an extremely tough debut fight against Christina Ricker with a lot of experience herself already. Um, now, with that being said, you just mentioned Morgan Hickam. She's got a, just just a mirage of women to work with and spar with over there at KMA. So she's getting looks, all kinds of looks from taller to shorter women all, all, all the way in and around. Um, but with, with that being said, uh, Morgan Hickam's debut was Hope Chase. Hope Chase is an animal. Uh, Jamie Driver, her next fight follow-up was another animal you know what i'm saying she had two of the toughest women i think in the nation that she had to fight coming out since she started out zero and two uh, i think she's uh, i think she's head and shoulders above hannah and i think that she'll uh i don't think that she'll finish hannah but i think she'll take her to decision all right torres um yes um i've, I've watched some film on this fight uh between some of the two and mainly the thing is like with hannah Ellswick. um yes i've seen her last fight was against christina adcock and uh 
I've been looking at some of her fights and she comes out brawling. I mean, she's she's a brawler. Uh, uh, it has helped her in some cases. It also has hurt her. Um, I will say she has went the distance in some cases. Um, but uh, Morgan Hickam, I, I think I think uh, I think this is really evenly matched. I think Morgan Hickam is probably the better striker in this matchup. I think she also is a little bit better on the ground as well. So I'm going to go with uh, a third-round finish, third-round TKO by Morgan Hickam. Okay, Greg, you didn't give me the uh, – you said decision? Yeah, I think yeah, you said yeah, decision. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, Hobbs? Yeah, I agree with Greg. Uh, you know, my pick for this fight is Hickam by decision. Um, uh, both girls, you know, are really skilled. Um, don't really have a lot of history being heavy-handed. Um, I think where the difference is going to be on this one is uh, Hickam seems to be, um, just as far as build-wise, she's um, she knows in her fights, she knows how to, you know, what the coaches call be heavy uh, when she gets ground control. Uh, so I'm going to say that she's going to hold uh, – she's going to be able to hold Rosario down. But Rosario's tough. Like you said, she's got a long amateur career. Um She's not going to be easy to get out of there by any means necessary, you know, by any means at all. So I've got Hickam decision as well. All right. Everybody taking Hickam, Hobbs and Greg by decision, Finney by TKO. Next up, we have lightweight, 155 pounds, Robert Brown making his debut from Capital MMA and Elite Fitness in Capital Heights, Maryland, taking on Dan Bailey, making his pro debut out of KMA in Knoxville. Well, this one is uh, is is really uh, kind of flying under the radar. I feel like as far as uh, you know anticipation goes, but it's really one that I'm looking forward to. Dan Bailey is supposed to make his pro debut last show, last pro show, and uh, that fell apart unfortunately. And then uh, so now he, he's he's back at it. You know, he's ready to get at it this time, and he's got Robert Brown standing in front of him. Robert Brown is from uh, Baltimore area, Capitol Heights MMA, and he's uh, he's a guy that's uh, very tall and rangy. He's making his pro debut as well. So, uh, you know, these guys have got very similar amateur uh, records leading into their pro debut. But I think that Brown's been at it quite a bit longer. He's got a lot of uh, kind of, uh, you know, unsanctioned, uh, like your street beefs kind of experience as well as his, uh, his amateur career. And, uh, and he's blue belt, I believe, in uh, BJJ. Uh, and, uh, and brown belt in taekwondo so uh you know he, he's been around uh, the game for a while uh to just now be making his pro debut uh dan bailey he's a former bfc lightweight champion he uh beat uh, carter beekman for that belt and, and vacated it and went pro and here we are uh you know going into his pro debut he's a former uh, military man uh dead uh man dead, is it the dead walker uh, i think is, is what they call him uh just a very well-rounded guy he comes into this uh into this sport without, without a whole lot of like uh, background as far as, uh, you know, wrestling or BJJ. He's just got all his training at KMAA and as such has become a very well-rounded fighter. All right. Then you get started. Um, yes, man. I mean, uh, Tim said it all really about uh, Robert Brown. Uh, Robert Brown is, I mean, he's look, he's, he's tall and he comes out firing, man. I mean, right when the bell rings, he coming straight at you. Um, I watched some of his fights, amateur career rise. I mean, Heck, I've seen him one time. He threw a triangle. The guy did a double leg on him, and boom, fit a triangle in on the guy. It says he finished with an armbar. It was looked like he tapped with the triangle on the video, but record says armbar. But overall, I'm excited for this matchup, man. I mean, Dan Bailey, he presents a really tough ta- challenge for Robert Brown. I mean, if Dan um, Dan comes out there and utilizes his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu, you could, we could be seeing a really good little ground game fight here, man. I'm excited to see. 
it really depends on who wins in the who wins standing up. And um, you know, Robert Brown is a brown belt in Taekwondo, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I know about his little street beef stuff, but how much does that really work when it's time to bring it in the cage? So, but I'm I'm truly excited to see uh, um, what Dan is able to do on the pro level, and I think he starts it off with a win. So, give me a second round submission by Dan Bailey. All right, Hobbs. Yeah, I think this is a fight that Dan Bailey's going to have to really be careful with. Um, you know, looking at that, uh, well, I, I also agree. I thought it was a triangle. Uh, looking back at uh, that past fight with Robert Brown, but the armbar triangle, whichever way you want to look at it, you know, that was slick and it was fast. Uh, if this goes to the ground, Bailey's going to have to be real careful. Um, kind of like you said, you know, I don't want to say Robert Brown is necessarily an unknown, but with a lot of it, like you said, a lot of unsanctioned fights and things like that. He still kind of brings that unknown on, you know, uh, what he's going to bring to the pro ranks here, you know, in a five minute round. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a, a quiet fight of the night type thing, but I think this is one where, and I'm going to be one of those, you know, that's going to be guilty of it. I think this is one that a lot of people could be surprised if uh, Dan Bailey doesn't come away the winner in this. Uh, and, it, and Robert Brown's going to sneak up on a lot of people. But that being said, um, I'm going to go Dan Bailey, but I'm going decision on this one. I think this one may uh, may see the distance. All right, Greg. Well, <clears throat> I'm excited to see Dan finally get back in the cage after his last bout getting canceled. Uh, I know we've, we've tell everybody's talked about this one now, and uh, Robert Brown, his amateur career was three and uh, three and one, and we talked about his street base spots and stuff that were unsanctioned. Uh, however. I'm, I just think that Daniel is, is, is going to be able to implement the wrestling here and he's going to be able to defend off those submissions against, you know, against Robert. So I just think that Daniel's going to win this one. I think he's, uh, I just, in my opinion, this is my pick. I got to take Dan. Uh, he's going to get it finished in round one. The uh, knockout or so? Oh, oh I, I didn't know I had to pick knockout. Did it, oh, yeah, I do have to pick. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna you, don't, you, actually do, you actually don't have to pick the round. Yeah, right. he picked submission. Yeah, submission, not the round. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. All right. Everybody yeah, takes, I'm trying to beat Feeney. <laughs> everybody, everybody takes Bailey on that one. Uh, Finney and Greg go with sub, hops with decision. Next up, 170 pounds. Paul Teague, 1-2 and two out of No Mercy MMA in Union, South Carolina, taking on Chris Bond, 1-0 and o, out of KMAA in yeah, Knoxville, Tennessee, yeah. apparently. I think he's just joined up with KMA from what I'm gathering, which was uh, news to me until just a couple of days ago. Uh, he is one and oh, Chris Bond. Most people know him from refereeing. Uh, you know, he's one of our regular refs out there. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's uh, jumping back in there after a pro debut win over Roy Sanders. Um, he's going to be taking on Paul Teague, the Ninja Turtle, another guy we're very familiar with out of that No Mercy uh, MMA goon squad uh, over in Union, South Carolina. Paul is coming off of a, a loss, though, to the aforementioned um, to the aforementioned Roy Sanders. So uh, they both have the same opponent um, as their last opponent to kind of uh, compare uh, compare things to. Paul kind of, if I can recall, Paul kind of called for this. I think Paul uh, asked for Chris Bond. And so Chris Bond uh, was willing to oblige. I think that this fight taking place at 170 maybe plays a little bit more in Chris Bond's favor because I um, 
Yeah, I, you know, I think that Bond probably could make 155, but I think he just seems to be the bigger guy walking around whenever you just happen upon these fellows. Uh, you know, uh, Paul Teague comes with a variety of uh, uh, unorthodox attacks, uh, lots of spinning things and just weird uh, is weird shit. You know, I think I think that kind of covers Paul in, in a lot of angles, but uh, it's been effective. I, you know, I've seen him hit some some crazy knockouts, you know, and so uh, he's uh, he's going to go in here and uh, hopefully brings a badass clown mask and, uh, and puts on a show. You know, Chris Bond, super tall and long, uh, typically more known for his his kickboxing uh, acumen as an amateur, but, uh, has been, uh, doing a lot of uh, groundwork and, and shoring up his, his BJJ skills as well. So, um, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, he's, he's probably going to bring the more well-rounded attack, whereas, uh, Paul is going to have, uh, you know, the, just the crazy stuff that you, it's hard to prepare for. All right, Hobbs. Yeah. Uh, another intriguing fight. Um, you know, honestly, I don't know where Paul Teague is at right now. Um, you know, at one point, uh, he felt like he was on the verge of something big uh, coming up. Then, um, then he asked for this fight. Then he said it was his retirement fight. Yeah, uh, and this was this was going to be the last one. And then last time I saw um, something on Facebook, this would not be his retirement fight if he got more backing or support from fans. Uh, so, you know, there was a call out to fans for support. And if they did, he wouldn't retire. If they didn't, then he still would. So, you know, I'm just not sure where Paul's head's at in this one. Uh, you know, but I think I do know where Chris Bond's head's at and, uh, he's been really active. You know, I, I didn't know Chris Bond, uh, before coming to Valor, but, you know, here in this last year or so, it seems that he's, you know, pretty determined to stay active, uh, finished out his amateur career, did some kickboxing fights and then jumped right into his pro career. And he's, I mean, he's churning them out every every couple months, every you know two to three months now. So I am going uh, Chris Bond uh, TKO. All right, Greg. I would be surprised to see Paul Teague wearing a mask because ever since the COVID crisis has hit, it seems like he's a nonconformist, and since everybody's wearing masks, he just doesn't wear one anymore. I hadn't seen him wear one in a long time. I do want to see it. This one, however, somebody mentioned this one going on the radar. This is one that I'm excited about because. Paul Teague is not going to play Chris Bond's game. And, you know, Chris Bond's going to want to stick and lick. You know, he's going to want to, you know, you know, hit. That's what he's going to want to do. He's going to, like, find his place. I don't think Paul Teague gives him the opportunity for that. He's just going to be on him. He's just going to, as soon as they say go, you know, and, and like Jeff mentioned, he did say that on Facebook that this is going to be his retirement fight if he didn't get enough support. And uh, and I hate, to, I hate to see that because uh, I like having that persona, you know, around because he's he's full of energy and 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 so is Chris Bond. So this fight right here and and being the third fight of the night, I I thought it would be a little little deeper on the car. Even though these guys are newer, I thought this was like I'm excited for this one. And now knowing that Chris Bond's a KMA, I'm really excited because uh, he's getting a lot of work in with a lot of people that we know. Um, I think that uh, Paul T's got a really good chance to win this on the. Uh, on the ground, if you can get Chris to the ground and just start going, you know, do Paul Teague things on him and just, you know, he's a wiry kid that you can't, you can't calculate. Uh, but like Jeff said, Chris Bond is on a mission right now. He's trying and, and I got to go with who I think is going to win this fight. I don't count Paul Teague out. I wouldn't be disappointed if Chris did lose this fight, but I'm taking Chris, Paul, uh, Chris Bond via knockout. All right, Finney. Yes. Um, I, I did a little, you know, I've looked at a lot, a lot of uh, what Chris Bond has done, you know, including amateur. You look, you go back and look at his last four fights. 
um, three of them has been some about submission. And like uh, Tim was saying, um, he's been working a lot on his jujitsu and it's been really interesting. Now I am going to go with TKO. I'm going with a knockout. Uh, he finishes Paul Teague in the first round, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a submission. Um, but yes, man, I think Chris Bond is, is on a rising up to another level right now. Um, yes, uh, like you said, a, a lot of us know him, you know, through refereeing. I mean, he refereed my fights, and uh, um, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. I really believe he he's on the verge of something bigger. So I think he beats Paul Teague, and I think he handle, handles him um, um, pretty well, and he gets ready for a bigger fight. So I'm excited to see. All right, all of our panelists take Chris Bond by TKO. Next up, we have lightweights, 155. Drayon Martin, one and six out of Rock Bottom MMA in Martinsville, Virginia, taking on Garrett Sharp, one and zero out of KMA in Knoxville. All right, so uh, you know Gary Sharp, we saw make his pro debut just a couple short months ago, and uh, you know he went out there and got the job done uh, in fairly quick fashion. He's a guy that uh, is a former Valor uh, featherweight champion. 145 you know he had a had a couple fights with Andrew Sturdivant that were you know really good and came off of uh winning that title uh to go pro he vacated the 145 title goes pro and uh you know he's a guy that uh the the KMA also sent out there for the Hyder Cup uh just not long ago and and actually uh accounted for himself better than than about anyone if I can recall I mean he had a really big uh, challenge in front of him there uh, you know, uh, th- that he went the distance and he was the last guy on the team. So he ended up, uh, you know, being eliminated. But uh, I-, I was really impressed, actually, with uh, how he hung against a much bigger guy. He's a purple belt, young man, you know, uh, college student, just uh, really has his head on uh, head on. Right. You know, he-, he seems to be taking everything seriously. He's a guy that got a lot of a lot of high hopes for here. Uh, beat Sam McAlpin uh, in 43 seconds uh, with the submission in uh, in his debut. So, you know, he's rolling along, man. He has actually hasn't lost a fight since uh, his initial encounter with Sturdivant. That's been over two years ago. So he's been on a hot streak. Now he's taking on Dreon Martin, who's, uh, whose record is is deceiving. He, he's one and six, uh, and he's out of uh, the Martinsville, Virginia area with a uh, rock bottom MMA. And, uh, you know, he, he's taken on pretty tough guys. You know, he, he's got a loss to Jeremy Mitchell, who, uh, who we're familiar with here. Uh, you know, J.J. Uh, Brantley, another uh, tough wrestler. Uh, so he's been in there with really, you know, tough, tough opposition at this point. But if you go back to his amateur career, he actually uh, has got quite a few amateur fights. I mean, he's got like, uh, it looks like he's got about 19 amateur fights. And so uh, he ended up going nine and ten as an amateur. Uh, that's a, that's a lot of experience. You know, he's got a lot more fights than Garrett. And so um, yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting one. And from all I've heard, uh, Dreon is in really good shape. He, on his social media stuff, he said he's really prepared for this one like like never before. So he's really coming in here focused. All right, back to you, Greg. I was looking at. Dre on topology earlier, and you were speaking about his record and everything in the in the level of competition he's facing. Jeremy Mitchell, you know, former Valor, he <clears throat> one thirty five champ, uh, but uh, vacated that title because he didn't want to maintain the weight, so he's moved up to forty five. Um, but you know, his just the accolades right here, and the, it's just as uh, yeah, he has fought a lot of tough guys in his pro, but I, I still looking through this resume, I don't see anybody as tough as Garrett Sharp on there. Uh, like you said, he finished Sam McAlpin uh, in 43 seconds or 46 seconds. And I, I just, uh, and, and his only loss, uh, we were talking about his last loss. Uh, I could be wrong, but his last loss was his only loss in his uh, amateur career, wasn't it? Or, yeah, that was it. And so 
Yeah, that's, that's the one he had. It was two years ago in February. Yeah, and I remember that fight. It didn't seem like it was two years ago. Wow. But, you know, he, he's, he's made the jump at the right time, and he's got the right opponent right here. I think this is a, is a decent fight right here, but I still think that Garrett's ground game is, uh, is just something that's evolving. When he, when he uh, you know, you mentioned that he, he got eliminated in that uh, in the, uh, the Hydra Cup by Connor Hodges. And Connor, but he also, in in in, in you know, in he he also eliminated Connor Hodges too. They you know they eliminated right. each other. So like you said, his ground game's on another level. Connor was a big guy, he's a very large guy, and uh, and they went the distance, and that was just fun to watch. And I think that uh, Drano's not that big, so I got to go with uh, Garrett by submission. All right, Torres. Yes, I'm saying I'm going with Garrett Sharp by submission, and mainly the reason why Garrett Sharp ground game. I mean, he is a purple belt. And Dreon, I mean, I watched his fight against Jeremy Mitchell. I mean, I couldn't find his John George fight. But uh, his fight against Jeremy Mitchell, I mean, Dreon, he came out. He came out there with a, you know, on fire. I mean, he he insinuates the action. He, come, he comes forward. But what happened was he got taken down. And once he gets taken down, as I'm seeing, it's a, it's a trend. You know, he, he's, he has lost a good amount of fights by submission. Um, it's his ground game. Now, I will say... I mean, his last fight has been since 2020. Well, it has been in 2020, December 2020. So we might see a little a little bit better on the ground, but I don't see by much. And uh, I think Gary Sharp should submit some. And, yes, I mean, Gary Sharp has a bench his loss against Andrew Sturdivant. And, basically, he's beaten everybody he's faced. So I see that uh, trend continuing for Gary Sharp. Hubs? Yeah, I mean, we all obviously did the same research on this one. What stood out to me most is, uh, you know, four of Martin's losses are uh, to submission. So, um, you know, that tells me I need to pick Garrett Sharp by submission. But since my cohorts here both pick submission and I've got to make up some ground, I'm going to play a scenario in my head where uh, Martin is trying to at least uh, fight off a submission and leaving himself susceptible to a TKO. So, I want submission, but I'm taking Sharp by TKO to try to gain a point here. All right, everybody, take Sharp. Uh, Greg and Torres by submission, Hobbs by TKO. Next up, 155-pound lightweights Robert McCann, 1-0 out of Bullman's Kickboxing in Knoxville, Tennessee, taking on Alex Riggs, 1-2 out of Shield Systems in Knoxville. This, 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 uh this is a kind of a mystery fight here to me because I, I, you got two guys that you really don't know what you're going to get a whole lot out of them. Uh, Robert McCann is uh, uh, is over at uh, Terry Bullman's, uh, Bullman's Krav Maga and, and kickboxing. We haven't had a fighter out of there since back when Stephen Tanner was uh, coming around and fighting. And so it's been a minute. And, uh, you know, obviously they've got good striking there. Uh, I believe that McCann is a blue belt. He's a former Marine and he uh, he used to live out in California. And he had his pro debut uh, out in California, and uh, he and he won his pro debut, obviously. But you know, we're just not as familiar with uh, the talent out there to really be able to gauge, like you know, what what level the guy was that, that he fought. But he won a decision, and uh, before that, uh, he had fought as uh, as an amateur and was three and two. And all of his fights were on the uh, the TCW uh, uh, promotion out there. Uh, so uh, you know, all of his fights have been out there in California. It looks like he's been fighting since 2018. Um, he's uh, coming in at one and zero since he's moved uh, over here to Knoxville with Bullman's. It's, it's really just I don't know what we're going to get. I think he, he comes off as kind of like a gritty, tough guy, though, you know. And then um, Alex Riggs 
is one and two. He used to be with the Warriors then over in Dixon, and he he made his pro debut with us actually and knocked out David Lewis in in a bit of an upset, if, if I can recall. And then he came back and he lost by submission to Keith Olsen. Uh, the next year, uh, lost on V3 after that, and then he took a, a big hiatus. That was March of 2018. This is going to be three years since we've seen Alex uh, Riggs in action after uh, you know an amateur career uh, that dates back to 2014. So he's been at it for a while. He's got some uh, interesting names on his amateur record, like Ed Massey, Langston Stevenson, uh, Will Calhoun, Anthony Wilkinson. So he's, he's fought some pretty tough guys. Um, it, you, uh, the, the big thing here is, you know, Alex Riggs has moved to Knoxville and so now he's with shield systems and, um, I'm going to be really curious to see what the three years off and the training at shield systems has done to elevate this kid because he was already a, a tall rangey fighter with pretty good power. Uh, like I said, he knocked out David Lewis. It's not easy to do. Um, so he already kind of had some nice little, uh, intangible tools and now, with the training that I'm sure he's getting over in field systems, I'll be very curious to see how he's developed. All right. Torres, get us started. Um, yeah, man. Um, I'm looking at this, and this is this is a little tough one to pick. I mean, you know, Alexander Renz haven't fought in three years, and, uh, you know, with that being, I mean, yes, that big upset win against David Lewis, but then he lost back-to-back fights, and it's hard to sometimes – you know, get that ring rust off. You know, sometimes you need a, you know, to need a warm up fight, and so in that regards. And I think Robert McCann is a tough, tough outing to be a comeback fight to come back and fight in. And uh, Robert McCann is tough, man. I mean, he has he has a nice little wrestling. Um, he takes it to you. Uh, majority of his wins, all of his wins, basically in amateur, were all by ground and pound. And uh, I watched him, and it, I mean, he's he's vicious on when he once he gets guys to the ground. Um, couldn't find much on his pro fight, but I did see, I mean, he won by decision and I'm willing to bet that it probably was more of a control ground game. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how Alexander Riggs can uh, do against Robert McCann on the ground. Um, but I'm taking Robert McCann in this one as well. I'm taking him by uh second round uh, ground and pound. <laughs> so. All right, Hobbs. Torres is forever going to give us the round, ain't you? <laughs> yes, sir. I will. <laughs> I like to be on the money. <laughs> all right. No extra points for that shit. All right. Uh, all right. So I know Alex, uh, Alexander. No, I'm just kidding. Alex Riggs. Uh, I know Alex Riggs a lot from his amateur days here in this part of uh, on this side of Nashville. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I I'm hoping Shield Systems got a lot of bad habits, uh, you know, out of his system. I don't know how long he's been there and if they've had enough time to do that. I know Ben would not. Uh, put Alex Riggs out there if he did not think he was ready to get back out there. Uh, Shield Systems is very big on uh, making sure their guys are ready to get out there. And if they're a transfer in from another gym or another state, um, they want to make sure they know their guy inside and out uh, before they let him go back in there. That being said, though, Alex Riggs to me had a lot of um, not a lot. I say his one biggest fault, like you said, he's a very tall fighter, um, but he fought tall. You know, he didn't really tuck his chin real well. He had the uh, chin up, lean back kind of defense uh, a lot in his career. That David Lewis fight was absolutely uh, an upset, um, I think, for all of us that were in attendance that night. Um, But, uh, you know, I just don't know how much they're going to be able to get that out of the system. He hasn't been in there in so long. He might revert back to 
you know, some of his old ways. And if he uh, stays tall like that with the uh, lean back, chin up defense, I see Robert McCann probably catching him right on the tip of the chin and uh, in, in, in this fight. And for me, man, Robert McCann's a former Marine, uh, which means he's still a Marine, uh, which means he's got a lot of uh, toughness just, you know, in his DNA. And I am picking Robert McCann with a TKO, but I will say that I definitely think that we will see a much better Alex Riggs uh, than what uh, we had seen prior to moving uh, to Shield Systems. All right, Greg. This one to me here is 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 lot is, is a toss up because we're talking about the loss to David Lewis. Yeah, I, I agree with y'all. I think that that was an upset, of course. And then you move on to an, uh, a debut, Keith Olson, where you're not really familiar with you know his his progress at the time. And I think. Uh, Keith snuck the arm bar in on him and got it. And then you talk about Brandon Gator right here. Brandon Gator took the took uh, Charlie uh, Alexander, you know, who we got in our main event tonight, you know, in that uh, in this event, uh, took him to a decision in his amateur career. So, and he lost to him by you know, this decision. This is MMA math and it doesn't matter, but I'm just trying to add something up because both of you guys are picking Robert McCann, but I have uh, I had. <laughs> Riggs before you guys started talking and you guys have persuaded me to think Robert McCann, Marine tough guy is going to, is going to pull this off with his, uh, with his toughness and heart. I, I, but with, with Riggs going to shield systems, I'm going to have to back Riggs on this probably by decision. All right. So Greg first, the first split of the night, Greg takes Riggs. The other two take, uh, uh McCann by TKO. Next up, we have, uh, welterweights, 170 pounds, Jeremiah Cutthroat or Cutright, 0 and 2 out of St. Charles MMA in St. Louis, Missouri, taking on Stephen Tank Wilson Jr. debut out of Knoxville, KMA. This one here is going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, everybody knows Tank Wilson, uh, former Valor middleweight champion, undefeated, six and 0 as an amateur and just uh, a phenom. He's one of these guys that was very hard to match as an amateur. Nobody wanted to get in there with him. Uh, he is dropping to 170 now. Uh, for this one, and I think that's a good move. He, he's he's obviously built like his namesake. He's built like a tank. He's a strong guy. He's a, he's a hitter, and he's got huge takedowns. But I think at 85, he's going to maybe start running into some guys that give some some reach uh, type problems. So I like his move down to 170 here. Now he's uh, he's not fought since September. Uh, he submitted Logan Dean, uh, who I uh, clocked to be one of his his tougher opponents there. Uh, in the second round, uh, nice uh, wins uh, over Alex Lewandowski and Jared Short uh, as well. Uh, early in his career, you know, he, he had a, uh, a bit of a reputation for uh, a suspect gas tank, but I believe that's been shored up now as he's on the distance, uh, you know, in, in two of his last three fights. Uh, just a very highly anticipated pro debut. This is uh, one of the, those KMA amateurs uh, from, uh, you know, that first crop that's that's coming through here. And he, he's one of the ones to go pro and a guy that I've been looking forward to seeing go pro for a while. So really excited to see how he does here. Now, talking about uh, length and uh, reach uh, advantages, uh, even dropping to 170, I think we'll give that up here to Jeremiah Kurtwright who is uh, six feet tall. He comes from the St. Louis area. He's with St. Charles, uh, St. Charles uh, MMA in Missouri. And uh, he's 0-2, but this is a deceptive 0-2, man. This guy's tough. Uh, I know because he's been in my cage before already. Uh, if you look at, at his pro record, uh, he, he's 1-1 one one as a pro boxer and actually coming off of uh, a boxing win just a week ago. I didn't know that happened. Uh, but <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad he won. Uh, he, uh, 
he, he's uh, his last MMA loss, though, was in October of last year. And that was to Ben Bennett. I don't know if anybody remembers Ben Bennett, but Ben Bennett uh, won the UMAP Nationals uh, when we hosted those a few years back. And uh, he's a very, uh, you know, very technical uh, fighter. And so that's not really a bad loss. If you go back to his amateur days, he's eight, six and one as an amateur. So he's got more experience than Tank. And um, he fought in the UMAF Nationals that I uh, mentioned just a, l- a little bit back. And he submitted Bubba Cruz in the first round of that, I recall. So uh, he is not a layup by any means, even though uh, his record would indicate he's one of these guys you cannot overlook because uh, you'll be left crying at the end of the night. All right, Hobbs. Yeah, I definitely remember Benjamin Bennett because I didn't care for the dude too much. Uh, no, no, he, I didn't like that guy at all. N- no, he's not <laughs> a very likable, not yeah. very likable guy yeah. at all. Uh, arrogant son of a bitch, that's for yeah. sure, man. But uh, he knew how to play that game, though. Yes, he did. But you know, I got to give him props, Benjamin Bennett. You know, was definitely a, he was is a, a good fighter. Um, you know, but. Uh, you know, Jeremiah Cart- Cartwright is, you know, a former Golden Gloves guy. Uh, both his losses uh, were submissions. Um, but, I mean, not that Tank's going to submit him. Tank's going to knock him out. I'm sorry. Uh, but, I don't know. Cartwright's got the ability to maybe take Tank deep, man. Um, and, you know, that, that Tank's Tank, uh, to me, is always a little subject. Uh not because I don't think he has the cardio. It's because I think he goes so balls to the wall and lets out every bit of adrenaline he's got in that first round. Um, but I'm going to have to uh, – I've got to stick with uh, uh, Mr. Wilson Jr. on this one, man, by TKO. Greg? I, I literally, word for word, what, the, what Jeff just said. Uh, he left one word out that he normally, uh, uh, you know – you know, puts with Tank, and that's the word violence. And uh, Tank is a very violent individual. And uh, as Tim said, this is no layup, but I, I don't want to reiterate everything and, and, and spend the time doing it. Everything that Jeff just said, uh, the tank, the gas tank, um, you know, who's fighting here and whatnot, I'm just, I, I second everything you just said, and I think that Tank gets to finish. Uh, if it goes into the later rounds, I'm. I'm anxious to see what happens right there. I'm anxious to see what I, I am. I want to see Kurt Wright, uh, Kurt Wright and uh, Kurt Wright. Sorry, got Jeremiah. I want to. I want to see what he does if he can go because a lot of his fights he doesn't really go the distance. A lot of his finishes he either finish or get finishes. You know, gets finished. He's one of those uh, live by the sword, die by the sword kind of guys. So, uh, but so if you're going to j- jump in there with a guy like Tank who is that violent, I got to go with Tank by KO. Torres. Yeah, probably enough, enough. I only see one TKO finish ever on this record. Four. Yeah, and that's, and that's his amateur career too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did, I did a little watching on Cartwright literally just three days ago. Um, uh, he had a, his video come out when he fought Benjamin Bennett. Um, and that, that was a, it was actually a pretty neat fight. But you know, and I watched the, his other one against Colton Boxwell. It was a big time jiu-jitsu guy. That's the reason why he missed. I think majority of that year because they look like the guy ripped his knee off with that heel hook. But I will say, cut right in his regards. The only problem with him is that how can he deal with Tank's wrestling? How can he deal with that pressure? Yes, what um, Greg said, he comes with violence. Tank is going to be coming, man. 
And cut right, sometimes he, he balls up. I mean, he slightly folds, and then he'll take an unwanted shot. And I want to try to wrestle with Tank if, if I'm cut right, you know, in that regards. And um, I just think Tank is, you know, it's just too – it's going to be too much for him, especially in that first round. Now, I will say this. If cut right can, because these are five-minute rounds, I'm not saying that Tank can't go the distance. Um, you know, Hawes made a good point. Sometimes he gets so riled up so early – you know, they can cause him to slightly gas. If Cutright can make it out there first, we can be see a really interesting fight. But I don't think it's going to make it out first, so I'm going with Tank in the first round. Knockout. All right, everybody takes Tank by knockout or TKO. Next up, lightweight, 155 pounds. Aaron Hughes makes his debut out of Regiment Training Center in Fall Creek, Massachusetts, taking on Tyler Edwards, 0-2 out of Guardian MMA, Lebanon, Tennessee. So uh, Aaron Hughes uh, making his uh, pro debut coming all the way from Massachusetts with the Regiment Training Center. Jorgen DeCastro, UFC heavyweight, is a notable uh, guy that fights out of there. And uh, he's he spent a lot of his fights on the on the cage titan circuit, which is a decent, a decent circuit, uh, you know, to, to spend your amateur uh, career on. He's four and six in MMA as an amateur. And uh, I, I can't recall exactly how many kickboxing fights he's had, but he's he's got another you know, like six or 10 uh, kickboxing fights. So he's got quite a bit of amateur experience coming in here. Uh, very excited. You can tell, man, he's been posting all over social media. He's got a lot of support behind him, man. Like getting a lot, a lot of people fired up up in the new England area for him to come down here and wreck shop. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm imagining we're gonna have a lot of eyes on us up there uh, in Massachusetts as, uh, as he comes down here, uh, he's, he's a purple belt in uh, jiu-jitsu as well. And uh, he'll be taking on another purple belt in, uh, in Tyler Edwards, Tyler Edwards, of course, we all know very well promoter for primal combat. And uh, you know, he's a guy that as an amateur um, was a very decorated amateur. You know, he had a, he had titles uh, in several promotions. Um, you know, he uh, he was six and one uh, or better uh, as an amateur. I'm sure there's some fights, you know, at the uh, from like Warriors Den and some shows like that that probably didn't show up on his record. But um, uh, he's at the very least six and one. He had he had the knockout of the year actually back in 2016 where he he dropped Chase Winder. I mean big time in the cookbook. It was, it was awesome. Uh, you know, so he's a guy that, uh, has, has got several good wins as an amateur it was a very, uh, high, high prospect, uh, you know, coming up the ranks. He's had a guardian, uh, MMA in Lebanon, of course, uh, I mentioned he's a purple belt, but you know, as a, uh, as an amateur, he was known more as a hitter, you know, he had a lot of big knockouts and, uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he, he's told me in these later years, he, he always just kind of let people think that so he could use his striking to, to set up, uh, so people would take him down. He could use jujitsu and we got to see him at the Hydra cup, um, a few, uh, few weeks back, made it to the semifinals before he lost to Nick Gertz, but he got past Jacob Romano in the first round with a, with a standing submission that you just don't see very often. So, uh, you know, Tyler is definitely, a, you know, he is a, he's a character. He's a free spirit. He's, he's got power in his hands. He's skilled and he's, he's an intense dude. That's one of the things that is one of those intangibles that you've got is Tyler's, you know, he, he's not necessarily like the nicest guy, <laughs> you know, so he's, he's going out there with a chip on his shoulder. And, uh, and from what I can tell Aaron Hughes is as well. So I'm real stoked for this one. You know, Tyler's pro uh, career hat didn't get off to a great start, but you look at who he's fought, man. He jumped in there with Chris Ocon to start. Uh, Chris Ocon, 
uh, stud, you know, a highly uh, ranked prospect on the pro scene now. And then his other uh, fight was a loss to David Lewis, a fight that, that he was winning. Uh, he was really piecing David up on the feet, but uh, ended up getting caught in a submission there, uh, as those Lewises are very dangerous in that regard. All right, Greg. Man, uh, Aaron Hughes coming coming all the way down here for you know not for no reason, but taking a tough debut fight against Knockwill Tyler Edwards. Man, uh, like you said, in that, that last fight he had in Nashville, when, when he was he was piecing David Lewis up and he was winning that fight. And then, uh, like what you mentioned, like he, he's a spark plug. He comes out there and he's not the nicest guy, so he's going for that kill earlier uh, early. Sometimes that's kind of his downfall because he over you know over exaggerates himself and get, puts himself in situations to where being a professional fighter now you've got to you know you know really be on the ball for everything and he's uh he's tightened up on everywhere and every aspect of his game and that's including the promoting part but he has been on he just got done with his second primal combat show in uh in lebanon uh not not too long ago actually so i'm wondering how much time he has dedicated to training uh for this fight or if he's taking there he's lightly being a debut coming down here uh, I think like what Tim said this is going to be a really good good fight it's going to be a great fight I'm excited to see this fight I got uh, but I got knock will put him to sleep man I got a uh, knock will by KO Torres yes man um, I've, I've looked at a lot of Aaron Hughes and I've checked out some of the stuff that he's been doing I mean man look Aaron Hughes he's a tough one man he's tough uh, it's going to be a really interesting debut fight for him against Tyler Edwards but you also got to look at Tyler Edwards last two fights I mean they have been getting some game competition, man. I mean, look, there have been some tough guys. A phenomenal amateur career by Tyler, as um, Tim said already. And, look, Aaron Hughes, I, I've seen some things on him, man. I mean, when the pressure is at its finest, he he doesn't throw a lot of strikes. I mean, he looks to try to take you down. Um, he's a little bit of a wrestler. Um, I don't think this is the purple belt he wants to go with uh, out of Tyler Edwards. He might be a purple belt himself now, uh, I think. Aaron Hughes, you say he was a purple belt, I believe, or no? Um, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. I think he's a okay. he's a fresh one. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So um, that will be an interesting matchup to see their jujitsu going against each other. But I think Tyler gonna have the slightly upper hand on in that in that area of regards. Um, I think Tyler. Uh, yeah, I think Tyler actually pits him to sleep with striking though. Uh, I think Tyler uh, striking is much better than Aaron Hughes from what I've seen so far. Could see some type of. Uh, um, Improvement because he hasn't fought since 2019, but um, I'm still taking Tyler Edwards in this. So him win by KO. Hobbs. Yeah, Tyler. Ed, we talked about Tank Wilson being violent. Um, when it comes to fighting, Tyler Edwards, well, hell, maybe even more than fighting, Tyler Edwards don't like people. He does a, you know, and I think he enjoys hurting. Them. <laughs> um, he's very much a live by the sword, die by the sword guy, and that's. You know, that's why his record is what it is. I mean, because he's going out there to inflict punishment on somebody and he's willing to take it to give it, you know, and, and he's gotten caught. If you went to or watched the Hydra Cup and you look at his jujitsu, it was violent. You know, it was mm -hmm. combat jujitsu. So, you know, when he got with Gertz, um, I don't know if there was maybe in their mind a gentleman's agreement that we were just going to straight up, you know, roll and, and, and not because Gertz had just slapped the holy hell out of somebody. Right. But then he gets with Tyler and, <laughs> and he does, and he does it. And Tyler broke the seal on that. You know, he was, 
He just saw what Nick Gertz had done to his previous opponent, and he still broke the seal. He still opened up that can of worms and was the first one to open palm slap Nick Gertz because he doesn't give a shit, you know. And I think when you're talking purple belt to purple belt, it's that's too easy to try to just to do that. As a purple belt, he's still in his rolling in his jujitsu uh, game. He's still going to try to hurt you. Um, I think this is the one. That I, I'm kind of taking that other. I understand what Greg was saying with, you know, his two shows and starting his own promotion and how much of his time has been on that and makes you wonder how much of his time has really been spent training. But I think it's kind of the opposite. Tyler knows, obviously, by rule, you can never fight for your own promotion. So he has to find fights somewhere else. But I think he knows the more success he can have as a fighter and showing that, you know, the fighters that he books that, look, dude, I get out there, too. I know what's going on. I know what we're doing. I think, you know, Tyler realizes uh, me staying active and being in the cage um, will only help my promotion, you know. Uh, so I think he's got a lot riding on this. And I think if he wants to stay active, uh, get this win. And uh, he's got his own platform now with his shows, uh, like we heard at his last show, to promote his fighting career with Valor Fights. So I think it's a perfect uh, perfect setup for him, perfect marriage. And I don't think he's going to waste this opportunity. So I'm going Tyler Edwards by TKO. All right, everybody takes Edwards by TKO. Next up, back to the ladies, 115-pound strawweights, Jessica Ruiz, 0-2 out of Alpha Omega MMA in Baldwin, New York, taking on Emily King, 5-4 out of KMA in Knoxville. All right, we're getting up into the nitty-gritty here. We've got two Bellator vets going at us. This is exciting. Emily King, of course, uh, has uh, coming off a win her last time out, which was just um, – just man, like less than a month ago, it was the night that we had our last show because we were all watching it there at Gade's side. But she wins a unanimous decision win uh, over uh, Kayla Haracho, who uh, you know was a, a pretty highly touted prospect herself coming in. Um, before that, she uh, was on Bellator for two fights uh, previous uh, with a win over Ava Knight uh, and then a loss to Carrie Melendez. So uh, you know she she's been back and forth. She's 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 been very streaky. She came out of the gates. And lost three. Then she knocks off four in a row, you know, and now she's been one on one. So, like, I think, uh, you know, she she's really looking to to make some headway on that record now at five and four. You know, this is a, a pivotal time, I think, for her. You know, you, you run your record up to seven and four, eight and four, and you start seeing records like that, you know, and uh, on the big shows, you know, but, uh, you know, you're also just one loss from being 500 and, and, and one loss from being upside down. And, you know, the, obviously it's a I think it's a very important fight for her at this stage of, of, her, of her career. Uh, of course, uh, KMAA trained as second female of uh, their stable on the card, uh, along with Morgan Hickam, uh, the wife of Jason King, Asian persuasion there. And, uh, you know, she's she's mainly won her, her fights by decision or submission. You know, so uh, but, uh, that being said, she dropped the last opponent with a big head kick. So she's showing off some uh, some more uh, some more striking here as of late. And Jessica Ruiz comes all the way from New York and she is uh, also a Bellator vet. And, uh, you know, she's uh, 36 years old. She has uh, this fight is going to be at, at 115, but, but she has fought at 125 uh, in the past. And, uh, of course, uh, both of her fights as a pro were on Bellator. So um, yeah, lost to uh, Jennifer Chang and Samiko and Naba. Um, and so those are her only uh, pro fights up until that point, though. She did have some amateur uh, fights and some wins. She was two and one um, 
as a, as an amateur there. So uh, I, I'm interested to see uh, what Ruiz brings uh, down here, you know, uh, coming from New York. I'm sure she's going to have some uh, some fire to her. I'm looking at her topology. She's got a she's got a strap on. So, oh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, she has a she has a, she has a belt. So she has she has a belt on. And uh, so she's won. She's won a, uh, a championship, you know, uh, you know, in the past. So she's coming in with uh, with some some title credentials as well. So uh, I, I'm pumped for this one, uh, as always, for the for the female fights, just uh, because we see so many females come out of our promotion. They, they get uh, get those bigger opportunities. So it's, it's cool to see two uh, Bellator vets throwing down. Torres. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I look at I look at Jessica Ruiz and um, Ruiz and um, I looked at mainly of how how she tried to fight and she's more she's more of a stand up mm-hmm. type person um dealing with her boxing um but her only two wins that so far they have shown only an amateur have both been by decision and all her losses have come out in the first round particularly her last three losses including amateur and pro um i, I just think emily king is she's going to be posed with too much of a threat um, like you said, she's starting to open up her her playbook, as we so call it, in her fighting skills. And I'm starting to see that you know she dropped that last girl with a head kick, and you know, she still won that fight by decision. But I think Emily King is going to come into this one um, with fire, and knowing that she needs a win to start adding to that win streak, it's going to be really interesting. And Jessica, I mean, with her, she ain't won a fight in a hot hot minute, you know, since 2017. That's a long long time. So she's going to be coming here with fire, but I see Emily King finishing this fight in the first round. I'm going to go by submission. All right, Hobbs? Yeah, um, you know, for me, the things that stand out, one, uh, Ruiz being 36 years old. Two, uh, yeah, both of her, you know, losses have been uh, TKO losses, but they've all been in the first round as well. Um, So, you know, this just doesn't pose well uh, for Jessica, in my opinion, but you know, Emily King's not necessarily been a heavy-handed fighter in the past. Um, her leg kicks are definitely dangerous when she goes high. Um, the only thing for Emily that sometimes I feel like watching her career is um, she just seems so much more comfortable at away games, you know, fighting away from Knoxville. Because um, I think we've kind of seen that in the past, you know, looking back at her career is, you know, she'll go away and, and whether it be for, like you said, Bellator, have a big fight, big win, and then come back. And I don't know if it's just that fighting at home pressure, things like that. So, um, you know, that's the only thing with Emily that, uh, you know, I love it when I find out she's fighting away because it seems like just getting away from home, uh, getting to block everything out, travel away and, and just kind of be in her own head, um, in another city. Uh, she shines, man. But, uh, uh, you know, her coming back so quick after this last fight, you know, it kind of just makes me feel like she is bound and determined to put some separation in this wins and losses. So I think she's really, really hunting, you know, that, uh, that six win right now. Um, I want to say TKO just with, uh, you know, Ruiz's, uh, a history of not being able to withstand the stand up through the first round, but my, my heart goes sub, but uh, I don't know. Five minutes is a long time, you know, maybe just some volume, the volume of, of Emily striking, I think will get her. And I've got to do something different here than, uh, 
than Torres or, you know, based on our past picks tonight, you know, I'm not going to gain any ground. So I'm going to go with Emily King and I'm going to change my sub to a TKO. Okay, Greg. I second everything Jeff said just again there. Uh, both of these fighters have been on Bellator, whereas in uh, Jessica, you know, she got kind of spoiled, got right into Bellator off of her debut. Uh, both back-to-back Bellator opponents. <laughs> I mean, both of those girls were beautiful, too, uh, that she lost to, and then she's fighting beautiful Emily, uh, Emily King now. So um, that's just the one stat I wanted to throw out there. Those g- girls are pretty, so and, and Ruiz is, too. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to be disappointed to get to watch this fight. I'm excited about it. Um, but <laughs> with that being said, Ruiz, like, she hasn't won in a long time. Uh, and Emily, I think since she fought uh, Melendez, you know, I think that was kind of like a, a starch moment to where she got caught off guard. She wasn't necessarily up for the moment, you know, not not trying to shine, uh, shed any light on her. But I'm like, you know, I think that that right there may have woken up, woken her up a little bit because she was coming off of a four, uh, four or five win streak. You know, one of those wins being in Bellator, which was impressive over Ava Knight. Uh, but. Just, uh, I think that Emily is going to get it to the ground at some point in time. She's lanky. She's able to to to, to lace her legs and snake around. And uh, Jessica, you know, like Jess said, she's been 36. I don't know um, how much more time she's going to be spending in the cage right now. You know, with an upside down record. So I do think she comes out firing off on Emily. She's going to try to start her, but I think she's going to gas. And Emily's going to, uh, you know, like you said, it's going to be a long time. I think she's going to get her in the second round, probably by submission. All right, so everybody takes Emily Hobbs goes TKO. The other guys go submission. Next up, heavyweights two sixty five. Jake Zog one and ten out of Clinton MMA in Clinton, Illinois, taking on Lorenzo Hood fourteen and four out of Chicago Fight Team, Chicago, Illinois. It's tough to get people to fight Lorenzo Hood. Um, it was one of those things where, like, you know, we talked to Lorenzo just a couple weeks ago. Man, super nice guy. He's an imposing figure. And, uh, you know, the, the, the local heavyweights that we that we have around here, I, I can't get them in there uh, at this point with him. So Lorenzo is there, very adamant about wanting to fight. He's, you know, uh, you know, he's got good management that's, you know, talking to, to the right people at the UFC. He needs to stay busy, needs to keep uh, winning. So uh, it looks like Jake Zog is uh, next man up here. Uh, uh, you know, of course, Lorenzo. Coming down from Chicago, uh, Jake Zog, I think from the same area. I'm not exactly sure where Clinton, Illinois is in relation to Chicago, but these guys have a history. These guys have a a beef, apparently, of sorts. So, like, Lorenzo already fought him once uh, back in 2014, and he beat him. Uh, But apparently there was something said. uh, I don't know if I should even say it on here, but Lorenzo told me that uh, some very derogatory things were said about uh, about his his, uh, deceased mother. Uh, here by uh, by Mr. Zog. And so he's got a, a bit of a, uh, I guess, a little bit of a uh, chip on his shoulder here going into this one. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's been a while since Zog's fought. I, I'm not super familiar with him, to tell you the truth. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been three plus years since the last time he's fought. And it doesn't look like he has ever gotten out of the first round. All right. Win or uh, lose. Now, I will say he's, he had a he had a five fight amateur career. He's three and two as an amateur and even all those. uh finishes Hobbs oh my god if, <laughs> if that story is true <laughs> and he's still I mean oh my god even if, if it's that, not true but Lorenzo I'm just I know exactly true or not Lorenzo Hood feels like you made a derogatory statement about his deceased mother that's a scary thought. 
But just I'm not saying I know, just yeah. <laughs> but you know, the thing is though, Jake Zog that you know what's also scary though? Is Jake Zog's getting in there. You know, like he has the balls to get in there. Yeah. He has you know what I'm saying? Look, 14 and four, knowing Lorenzo Hood's history, watching his career, seeing his highlight videos and going back and researching his fight. And Jake Zog still says, I don't give a damn and is getting in there. That's a scary dude, too, that's willing to step in there and shut that little small cage door and and get in there. But I mean, like you said, never out of the first round. But even, you know, to take it a little further, he's never been in the cage longer than three minutes, three and a half minutes. Um, yeah, at least amateur run, right? Yeah, that is his longest, uh, you know, uh, campaign in the cage, and I, especially now after you tell that story, I don't see that record being broke uh, <laughs> this Friday night. So I am, and Lorenzo's already even before he knew who the opponent was, he's already told everybody what he wants to do in this fight. He wants something spectacular. He wants something violent. He wants something that's going to go viral, he said. Mm. You know, so that, all that – Lorenzo Hood by knockout. Yes. <laughs> Greg? I, again, I go right after Jeff, and uh, I I don't know what was said, but I know that I saw Lorenzo Hood fought in person, and that was – that was impressive to see, uh, you know, like like you said, that imposing figure go out there and do what he did. And 11 and four versus a guy that is one in 10 right now. I think I'm going to go ahead and just say, I'm going to say uh, Lorenzo Hood by KO. I'll just say a lot of guys with better records turned it down. Oh, no. Hey, no, no. hey Jake Hunt. Hey, for real, though, man, Jake Zog, dude, uh, hats off to you for jumping in the cage, bro. Like, uh, I know a lot of people who. who we would defer to fight the Lorenzo Hood. I, I know a lot of them personally. I know them. And look, I feel like we've got. Guys, I feel like we've got guys that won't fight for Valor anymore because, <laughs> because you know because they're in the same weight class with this dude, and they're afraid he's gonna. Now watch, they'll all come back once he gets picked right, up somewhere right. else. <laughs> um, okay. Um, who, who's the heavyweight champion right now for Valor? Is it it, he, it's trying. He's trying to be. Uh, he, he wants it to be a title fight, and I've offered it as a title fight to you know to several worthy people, and uh, it's uh, it, he, yeah, nobody's willing to step in there. So like, he wants to fight us for. He wants to be the champ, but I just am struggling to get someone to jump in there that is uh, on the you know level to where we can make it a title fight. <laughs> well. Well, if he sticks around one more fight, Jonathan Ivey will do it. I promise you, Jonathan Ivey will do it. If he like, if he hangs around one more, let's call Ivey. He'll yeah. do it. Oh, man. Well, I mean, this ain't hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Lorenzo Hood, man. And the fact that you just said he said something about his mother, I, I, I just – dude. And the fact that, I mean, like you said, you got to give props to Jake Czar. I mean, he did just fight this man in 2014, and uh, he got killed in that one as well. So he might make an adjustment. I'm trying to give him a bit of – I'm stop, Stop, Finney. Stop. Stop. Look, Lorenzo Hood, first round, knockout. That's it. All right, everybody takes Lorenzo Hood by TKO. Next up, co-main event, 135 pounds. No way, Jose Johnson, eleven and six out of Strike Kings in 
Copperos Cove, Copperos Cove, something Texas, taking on Dre, Dre Ku Miley, seven and three, KMAA in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now this one, ah man, these last two I'm super pumped for. I'm pumped for a lot of these, but this one I'm real pumped for. Uh, it's been a while since we've got to see Dreku, uh, Dre Miley. You know, he's supposed to fight John Sweeney um, a, a few shows back. Sweeney wasn't able to make the weight. All that fell apart, and it's just a big old mess. And so, you know, now Dre's been on the shelf for gosh, I, it, it feels like it's been over a year since uh, since his last time out. I may be wrong. Somebody will correct me, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Dre's, he's been at this uh, for a while now, a decade now, uh, believe it or not. And, um, you know, a, a very well-rounded fighter for a guy that didn't really have a martial arts background. We did an interview with him on uh, Vince Farrar and my radio show, uh, Inside the Cage MMA Radio, I think it's called. Maybe he'll, he'll correct me, I'm sure, if it's wrong. Uh, but if you check that out, then you'll oh, hear all wrong. about Oh, it's right. <laughs> it is right. Vince. If you're listening, it is in the cage, right? Yeah. In, in the, the cage. cage. Yeah. In the cage, MMA radio. And, uh, you, uh, if you, if, if you go back and listen to that, you'll hear Dre's like backstory, like, you know, how he, how he lost uh, one of his eyes in an accident and how he was, uh, about to be a football, uh, a, on scholarship for football and ended up, uh, changing over to the, uh, to the world of MMA and, uh, and, and that's been that. So, you know, Dre's a guy that is, uh, is really ready to try to make that next step. And he knows he's got to have a signature win. And that's what is what he kind of lacks in my opinion at this point is, is that signature win. And, you know, he went after it with Cody dirt and had a nice showing, uh, came up on the wrong end of that one. And so now, uh, he's going to take another stab at it with, uh, no way Jose Johnson. And, uh, again, uh, Dre out of KMAA there with uh, Eric Turner in the gang. So he's got a lot of teammates on this one. He's a leader over there, you know, so uh, he'll have a lot of support there that night. Uh, Jose Johnson, uh, no way Jose from uh, Texas. Uh, man, this guy is definitely a striking specialist. Uh, originally out of Michigan, uh, had, man, you total up all of his fights and you're going to get up near like 50. Uh, he has a lot of fights. He had, uh, he had a very, very long amateur career where he held several titles uh, in, in several different weight classes with lots of promotions, uh, beginning his career up in Michigan. Now he's in Texas at Strike Kings, where, uh, yeah, his striking is a thing of beauty, man. He's a Muay Thai specialist. He's got some crazy highlight reel knockouts. And uh, last time out, though, it's been a minute since he's fought as well. He was on the Contender Series, Dana White's Contender Series, and uh, fought a guy that we know uh, know very well, Ronnie the Heat Lawrence. And uh, uh, Ronnie the Heat got past him and ended up getting into the UFC off of that uh, win and has continued to shine. So uh, props to Ronnie out there. Shout out. But, uh, you know, Jose is still very, very dangerous. Uh, 11 and 6 coming into this thing. Uh, very, very good striking. And he's six feet tall on top of it all, uh, at 135. Greg? Yeah, this fight right here is called main event and, uh, you know, could have been the main event too. Uh, really good fight, really good matchup here. Uh, shouts out to Tim Lawyer right here on making this one. Uh, Dre Molly, if you guys can listen to that story and how and, and everything about him, and, and, and I, don't, I don't even like to say it's a handicap, but he's missing his eye. Yeah, obviously it's the story. Um, and you know that uh, no way Jose Johnson is is gonna uh, it's that's his angle. You know he knows that he's got a guy with one eye. Dre's been through it. It's not this. It's just a sec- but let me get past all that bullshit. Tim mentioned Dre needed a signature win to get him to the next level, and uh, I think that this is the matchup in Jose because he's just coming from Contender Series. Uh, you know he lost to Ron uh, Lawrence, so I'm like, if Dre can get past 
it's this guy. If he can pass Jose, I think this is the one he needs to get him to that level. But in my opinion right here, Jose is a technician. I think that on the feet, he's head and shoulders above Dre Miley. As far as takedowns go, though, Dre Miley's got that department in. He had an impressive showing against Cody Durden. And um, that I think that was one of the fights, you know, beating Dre that got Cody to the show, to the USC right there, to be honest. So I think if Dre's able to win this one, he can get past him. But I just got to go with uh, with Jose Johnson by decision right here. All right. Torres? Yes. Um, man, this is going to be a really, really good matchup. The grappler versus the striker in a lot of cases. And, man, I look at um, – Dre Molly, I mean, a lot of his wins are by submissions. Um, he gets them really early as well, too. I mean, he went, he got a lot of wins in the first round. Um, but this Jose Johnson, man, I mean, his striking is unreal. Watched a few fights of him. I mean, he's so dynamic. He has multiple ways he can pitch you away. All it takes is one. And um, he's quick with it. And you also look at his resume. I mean, he beat a lot of guys. He got a guy on here. He stopped in the first round. That's 11 and 2. Stopped another guy that's eight and one. I mean, I understand, you know, depending on certain guys' opponents, but he's beating some top tier competition. And then you also throw in the fact that he was just on the Dana White contender series. Not only did he he did lose, but he did only lose by some uh decision. Um man, this is this is gonna be a tough close fight, but um uh, this is what, like you say, this is what Dre Miley needs. Um, this is a fight that is big for him. Um, that opportunity to get to the next level. Um, you go back and look what he did against Cody Dirt, and, um, you know, that was his true test. Um, he came up short in that one. But this next one, this is, a, this is a, I think, an even bigger test. So um, I think Dre Molly has learned from that first one. Um, I'm, thinking he, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to be ready in all cores. I'm taking Dre Molly by decision. Split decision. Going to be close. I'm <laughs> a good fight. Yeah, I, I was happy to be going last on this one because I thought I was going to steal something here because I really felt both of these guys were going to go with uh, Dre on this one. Uh, so it looks like I'll be, I'll be the, uh, the tiebreaker here. Um, you know, Jose, Jose Johnson has what Dre Miley wants, or he had what Dre Miley wants, and that's an opportunity. And I think that's where his drive and his determination is is coming from like Jose Johnson, you had the opportunity that I want and, and you dropped the ball. Uh, and to get that same opportunity that you had, I need to beat you to show them that I deserved that opportunity uh, before you did. And, and, and Dre's mind, this is the exact fight he needs uh, to get over that hump and, and maybe get his shot, maybe get his, uh, his, uh, his, his opportunity. Um, you know, I, I know the, the issue with Dre's eye, you know, that it's, it's a story and it's there. It's obvious. I don't think, you know, Dre necessarily, uh, likes to always talk about that or that to be the focus, but the fact is it is what it is. And, you know, Dana White at once said that, uh, Nick Newell would never fight in the UFC or never get an opportunity because of, a, a what some would call a disability or, a, or, you know, something different than the norm, but, uh, uh, Dre Miley, he can do it too. You know, he, uh, I've had, I think he had, Tim, did he not have states in the past that wouldn't even sanction him, uh, you know, as he was coming up? 
Yeah, that's one of his main issues. I think uh, just immediately out of the gate is he just couldn't get commissions to sanction him. So he's, to, you know, essentially prove that he's he, he can be competitive. Right. And so I think it's the same story like like Nick had, you know, is, is to prove to these guys like this is not a disability. This is just a part of who I am. Uh, Dre's really determined, man, and I love the kid to death. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm leaning Jose Johnson just on pure experience and, and where he's been, what he's done. But I definitely agree with uh, Torres is that uh, this is going the distance. You know, this is going to a judge's decision. And I hope these judges are watching this fight closely because it's going to be a close fight. Um, and, and it's going to come down to what they think at the end of uh, three rounds. But I am I'm leaning Jose Johnson by decision. But, you know. That's strictly for, uh, you know, uh, f- fight card purposes and, and picks pan on my heart is with, with Dre Miley. Uh, and I'll be happy to lose if I lose this uh, lose this pick. All right. So Greg and Hobbs take Johnson by decision. Finney with Miley by decision. Next up, the main event, light heavyweight, 155. Nathan King Kong Ariaga, three and one out of combat performance in Henderson, North Carolina, taking on Charlie C4 Alexander, five and three out of Nashville MMA, Nashville, Tennessee. Main event, man. Pump for it. This is going to be an all action fight. Both these guys uh, need a win here. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie Alexander challenged for the uh, lightweight championship uh, not too far back. Five and three, uh, training over in National MMA. Uh, Michael Chandler a lot I'm seeing in his social media, so he's getting some great training there, obviously, with Michael Chandler. But, you know, he's been out for a year and a half, not from a lack of trying. I know I've Charlie's been booked with us against Juni Browning, who flaked. He's been booked with other promotions. Uh, COVID will kill the card or what have you. So uh, I know he's been chomping at the bit to get back in there and uh, get that loss uh, washed out of his mouth and get back on track. Uh, so uh, I'm expecting to see even some improvements even from C4. Obviously, great, uh, uh, well-rounded fighter already, but uh, I'm expecting to see even more, especially with the uh, amount of work he's been getting in with uh, a man that's about to challenge for the lightweight championship of the world, Michael Chandler. His opponent, Nathan Ariaga, out of uh, Nick Martino's combat performance. Last time out, we saw him in a really, really good fight against Logan Neal. Split decision loser there, but it was very entertaining. Uh, this guy's very game. He has uh, three and one coming in, so he, he was undefeated going into that fight. Uh, I, he's purple belt. I believe both these guys may be purple belt. Charlie may be a brown by now, but uh, he, uh, uh, Nathan Ariaga, he attempted one of those Showtime kicks off the cage. You know, he's very unorthodox and uh, inter- very entertaining fighter. And I think after getting kind of stuck on his back against Logan Neal this last time, that's going to be something he's going to be looking to to shore up coming into this one. And both these guys are super confident. Torres, yes, um, man, look, hey. What a fight this is going to be. Look, man, um, <laughs> this this fight brings so much like to what Valor is all about. And you look at this and you truly see this is going to be for the title. Um, big time. A big time fight. Somebody's coming out as champion. Nathan Arriaga, I mean, yes, he, you know, he fought my teammate Logan Neal. A really competitive fight back and forth, both on the ground. Um that was exciting to watch. Charlie Alexander, he's a big-time guy. He's game. He's exciting to watch as well. Um, it, was, it was hard to see somebody to uh, lose this one by submission. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I don't know if Charlie would be able to tap him out. Um, he can. 
But um, Nathan Ariaga is just as good as in, in the game of submission as well. Um, his jiu-jitsu is, just, is really good, so they're both being purple belts. I'm going to go with a third. Um, this is five rounds, but I'm going to go with a third-round KO by Charlie Alexander. All right, Hobbs. Yeah, man, this is a uh, this is a big fight. It's a big fight for Valor. It's a big fight for uh, Torres Finney too, because apparently Torres has given out belts of his own uh, <laughs> at, uh, at Valor. I thought, I thought it was for a title. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Hey, Ariaga, Charlie, uh, whoever wins this fight, man, Torres will be cage side. Go get your damn belt from him. He's he's bringing it for you. I get one but, for Walmart. <laughs> Um, man, like you said, Torres, man, this is this is what Valor is all about, man. These are two, uh, you know, higher level guys up and coming, uh, up and coming as to the point where they're they're at that that kind of they're both at that point where the next level's coming if they can keep you know tacking on some wins here. Uh, Charlie Alexander's in a great spot right now at Nashville MMA has really gained the trust of of Michael Chandler. To where uh, Mr. Chandler is leaning on Charlie a lot as a, as a training partner and as kind of a uh, a lead guy at Nashville MMA, the whole you know management staff there is uh, really high on Charlie, kind of being a team leader to the other fighters and the younger fighters. And like Tim said, Charlie's not been inactive by choice. You know this this last year that's you know year and a half that we've been under COVID and and fights falling out. Um, and he knows that there's no guarantee for a fight next month or, or two months from now. So he does not want to go into another layoff out of his control off of another loss. But he has got a tough opponent in Nathan Ariaga. Um, you know, Ariaga is that quintessential, you know, not to bring race into things as a negative, but that tough Mexican, Spanish, Hispanic heritage fighter that we've seen over the years in boxing and other sports where he is just going to give it everything he's got in your, you're going to have to, you know, put him to sleep or, or knock him the hell out because he's not going to give up. Um, you know, what, what worries me a little bit is the Logan Neal fight. We saw Ariaga have some weight problems, uh, Tim, did we change this fight? Is this still 155, or have we moved this to a catchweight fight? We are still officially a 155. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, I, I shoot. I hope this works out. You know, <laughs> at the weigh-ins uh, Friday, I hope we don't have to worry about uh, you know any discrepancies. Uh, I know, Greg, you were. You train with Logan, Tim. You know, I mean, what was what was Ariaga over last time? Um, I believe he was over. Uh, I think he was like uh, three over. Uh, so he's like one six or fifty nine, and so he could have been fifty six. So he's like three over the limit over with the, with the allowance. Right, right. And we know the commission has that variance there. That you know, if we're not, uh, uh, you know, I just hope that's not a factor. Uh, I hope we don't have at weigh in day a lot of uh, negotiating that has to go on, and. Uh, you know, regardless of what happened with the weight, though, Ariaga is a tough guy. He gave Logan Neal all he wanted. His uh, submission defense was really good uh, for, you know, the majority of that fight. And, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in what Charlie's game plan is for this. If he uh, Charlie's always kind of been almost to a detriment, a, a slow fighter, uh, you know, really taking his time and. You know, the only thing that scares me with that is when you take your time and then time becomes your enemy. If if a round doesn't go your way, 
then you've got that uphill climb. So I'll be interested to see if Charlie kind of just goes forward and tries to be more offensive instead of um, uh, reactive and a, and a counter striker. Um, but Charlie works the legs really well, works his low kicks really well. Um, this is going to be a barn burner, but I have got to go with my Nashville C4, Nashville MMA. I got Charlie Alexander by TKO. All right, Greg. All right, so we know that Ariaga has a difficult time cutting down to 55, but Charlie, I mean, I've seen his Facebook pictures, and that man ain't, ain't waved 155 in a good while. So, uh, like you said, I hope we get to see that fight. I hope it, I hope it does get to happen because this one right here definitely will be hell because Ariaga's got a chin. And, and, and Charlie, and Charlie, you know, he does. He, he possesses that power for the knockout. Uh, Ariaga's just, it, I mean, this is a great match. Like y'all, y'all have already blown it up enough how big this fight is. And and and, t- and Finney mentioned this was a championship bout. I know you said that, but like I do, however, can possibly see you know a winner of this bout. Maybe Paul, even though Ariaga, <clears throat> you know, if I could see Charlie winning this fight, he probably could be number one contender. Nathan, however, may have to win another one. But I think Charlie, you know, he's already you know he lost that to that one fight that that controversial decision over there in Nashville against David. Um, David Robbins. So I wouldn't doubt seeing Charlie back up for the title, you know, if with a win over, you know, it'd be an impressive win on his record over Ariaga. Ariaga was three and one uh, with one loss against a Bellator vet. And, uh, and Charlie fights the, the, the cream of the crop. He, top, he fights the top guys. So um, with that being said, I know how Charlie fights. I trained for Charlie. I got ready to fight Charlie and COVID canceled that fight. So I know exactly how Charlie fights with his style matched up against Ariaga. It's just a. It's. I wonder if Charlie's going to be able to push that pace more than just the end of each round and try to steal him. I think an Ariaga is going to push the pace early and try to tire tire Charlie out. With that being said, that makes the fight just an absolute even matchup pick. Em, in my opinion, I don't know who's going to win this fight. I have no idea who's going to win this fight. I'm picking C4 just out of because I've seen C4 fight more. He's been in the game right here around this area more, so I got to go with the Tennessee guy. By, I got to go by decision, though. All right, everybody takes Charlie uh, Torres and Jeff by TKO, Greg by decision. All right. Well, that will wrap up our uh, preview for this all-pro card. I'm stoked for it, guys. Uh, we'll run through uh, everybody uh, one last time here before we sign off. And uh, your most anticipated fight. Uh, I'll even let you jump in on this one, Justin, even though you're judging. You can tell, let us know if you're excited. Um, uh, most anticipated fight on this card, uh, and then uh, we'll get on out of here. All right, well, I will go first. My most anticipated fight is Lorenzo Hood and Jake Zog because I don't have to do any work during that fight, <laughs> I don't believe. And uh, I expect to see something big. All right, Greg. That is way too many to pick from off of here for real. But if I have to, if I have to pick, I mean, the co-main right there with Dre Miley and Jose Johnson. I think Jeff said it. His heart was with Dre. My heart's with Dre, man. I think Jose right there. It's going to be a tough ass fight for both guys. That's my most anticipated. The co, the co-main right there. All right, and uh, Jeff, it's got to be the main event for me. I just think there's, uh, you know, big things uh, on the horizon for whichever guy wins this fight. Um, you know, I, it's got to be the main event. There's it's, it's, uh, a three and one record against a five and three record. Uh, two tough guys, 
you know, I think this is this is the main event. Like when Charlie fought David, you know, fights that, that Greg's had against Jason King. These are the type of fights that define Valor fights right here. Torres, wrap us up. Um, yes, um, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a some would say a sleeper, but uh, Robert Brown and Dan Bailey, man, I am really excited for that one. I think that one is going to be a, a great way. I mean, we already starting to show off hot with the uh, women's fight, but that's that's really going to kick it off uh, for Friday night. Um, so I'm excited, man. Let's go. All right. Me too, guys. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks to all of our listeners out there for uh, staying with us and uh, getting this preview of this VFC 80 card. It goes down Friday night, April the 2nd from the world famous Cotton Knife Joe. Tickets available at fighterticksforthenext.com, or you can get them at the door, or you can watch it live on pay-per-view at bfcmma.com. For all my co-hosts, Justin Watson, Jeff Hobbs, Torres Finney, Greg Hopkins, I'm your host, Tim Loy, signing off for another edition of The Valor Hour. This is a sitting ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. The one and only Bill Barons. You know, AJ obviously was extremely talented. I reckon we recognize that in WCW at the end with him and Air Paris. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that he would have the success that he's had in WWE? Uh, short answer, yes. Uh, and that was always the goal and yet not the goal. You know, AJ was very devoted to TNA. If TNA had not screwed up, AJ would have been with them now, you know, even through everything. If the money had been there, if everybody hadn't been a jerk and treated him as less than their top star, he would have been there. So he had to go out and recreate himself, so he did that with New Japan. And inevitably, that's what led to WWE. And we had been offered, let's see, how many WWE deals we turned down? One, one, two, three. We turned down three. And then eventually, you know, things worked out. But at the time, we made the decision more than them, quite honestly. Um, you know, back in 2008, for example, he was offered a pretty good downside. Um, and uh, TNA had put a five-year deal on the table. And, you know, that there was a lot of talking. Wendy's involved. You know, I'll, my job for them, and I always told them, is I'm going to give you the up and down on both sides. It's not my decision. Right. It's yours. And, and you know, and because you have to live with it, not me. No one, after a long run with TNA where he is the most decorated champion in their history, he still has the most title wins of anybody, um, nobody promoted him as the ex-TNA guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I always thought he was going to be that guy, and literally he is that guy, and he's proven he's that guy. Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.